2: $25 each.
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek
3: to buy now. That's Livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
2: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant, as well as with our new super producer, Alexis Jackson. So drop by and say hello. Help us think of a nickname when you have the chance. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this Stuff They Don't want you to know, as we always like to start the top of the week, we're bringing you strange news in this segment. So many things fly under the radar these days or occur just outside the pool of iodine streetlight. So many things happen just off the edges of the mainstream map. So again, as we said last week, this is the segment where each of us finds a story that we think deserves the attention of our fellow conspiracy Realist. What do we have today, guys? We have we have plagues. We have uh, history, maybe rhyming if not repeating. Yeah, we've got all kinds of, We got a grab bag for you today. But the first thing we're
1: gonna bring up here is that you know if you're doing a search around for Alexis Jackson here, you're gonna find some other Alexis Jacksons. This is my uh, submission for super producer Alexis Jackson's nickname: Alexis double X's and S's Jackson. Does that, Ooh. does that feel good? Oh, I'm into it. Double X and S, or uh, Alexis Double X and S Jackson? Double X, that, that's a tongue twister, my friend.
2: Yeah, you have to earn that one, yeah. I like where your head's at there. Uh, we should also say, Alexis, apologies. I, I think we maybe briefly talked about how we were going to do this. <laughs> we should have checked beforehand. But, uh, uh, of course, you get final vote on any nicknames.
1: Okay, I got a better one. Super producer Alexis the Prof jackson dr prof.
2: jackson
3: oh okay okay <laughs> i also want to put out there that paul it's paul's policy to remain anonymous and not speak on the show we obviously need to offer alexis her ability to make that choice for herself if she wants to chime in she is more than welcome to do so.
2: yeah i did that um off the air previously, as you guys know, I have, I have that track record. I'm just trying to get everybody to come on mic at some point. And I think we all we all agree that that's a cool thing for the show. But no pressure, of course, as you said, Noel. Uh, it is, of course, always an individual's personal choice. More on that to come. For now, we each made a personal choice, speaking of just painful segues uh and we found some stories that we thought our fellow listeners would enjoy we talked a little bit about this off air matt um you you had said we could, could maybe start with something you dug up it feels like an end of day's plague i'm just gonna be honest with you just from what you've told us
1: well yeah don't, don't give it away too much there ben but let, let's just read the headline first you ready this is now. This is from CNN, and this headline is a mirror of a bunch of UK websites where I was first reading about this. But I, I guess I liked the the way CNN put it best. A swarm of flying ants stretched for miles over the UK and looked like rain on weather radar. So really, that gives you almost the entire thing in a headline, uh, right up front. But. The imagery that it conjures really is, uh, for me, the stuff of nightmares. So, you know, living in Georgia, we, we three Georgia boys are quite accustomed to flying insects hovering around us at all times, be it gnats or flies or the dreaded mosquitoes. Uh, currently, that is what we are facing when you or walk Or uh, what most people call, you know, giant cockroaches, but we very charmingly refer to <laughs> you as palmetto bugs. Yeah, those <laughs> adorable little palmetto bugs that are in your house and outside your house and everywhere. Uh, but this, in this case, we're talking about fairly large black flying ants, and we are talking about massive swarms of them to the point where there are so many that the millions of flying ants show up on radar and trick uh they don't trick meteorologists meteorologists have a whole host of data that they're looking at when they're you know deciding what is occurring weatherwise but if you look at the radar maps over the UK from the past week it genuinely looks like there were these storms popping up in in several places kind of southeast of yeah, it is southeast of London, down in the bottom of the country there. And my goodness, it is so crazy to imagine that there would be enough insects in the sky that it would register on radar. Just, ugh.
2: I like the now, I know there are a lot of people who are um, phobic when it comes to insects. But I, I always liked the idea of the natural world moving en masse, you know, like before the extinction of passenger pigeons in the in what would become the United States. Those guys used to block out the sky. And, and apparently, from what we're learning here in the UK, this is not the first time it's happened. Is that correct, Matt?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This happens on a yearly basis, the, not necessarily the... Uh, mistaking ants for rain clouds or anything. But there there is a yearly emergence of this specific species of flying ants in uh, the UK and, and in England and specifically there in the place where it was found this time, near London, Kent, and Sussex. Uh, but it, it occurs all over the world every year in the summer months. So anytime between June generally and August, like right towards the... Uh, the beginning of September there, these ants will emerge, kind of young ants basically. And then in order to not have too much interbreeding essentially within one colony, they spread out, they fly to a new place essentially to spread to create a new colony. And it's fascinating to me that essentially you've got one big uh, flying queen ant, and then a bunch of male ants that are all taking to the skies to go find a new place. While they're in flight, they are mating, okay? So then the queen...
3: Wait a minute, wait a minute. She's saying they're doing
1: it, like, in the in the air? Well
2: wow. Yes. wow. Very Cirque du Soleil, you know?
1: <laughs> yes, very much so. And this is just how it works. This is just the way it functions. Mate in the air, and then they go and land somewhere else on the ground so they actually take to the ground and then they create new colonies the queen this is was uh, amazing to me the queen ant bites her own wings off and then creates a brand new colony begins laying eggs and uh, male ants that are also flying around they kind of just become a new colony there fascinating stuff. This is like the very definition of a hive mind kind of situation,
3: right? Where they just know the need for procreation and they are communicating it, whether it's they're following the queen or whatever, but you know, it's that kind of like almost electrical impulse communication, you know, with such wide uh, ranging groups that are like so far away from the queen. It's like this chain reaction. But um, do you think Matt, if this uh, swarm descended on say a herd of cattle would be one of those cartoonish things where they'd come away and it would just be, like, bones with, like, you know, flesh hanging off them where they just, like, you know, <laughs> rip it to shreds. I want to believe that, Matt. I want to believe that.
1: <laughs> I mean, that sounds very X-Files. Uh, in this case, I don't think the ants would be interested in, you know, ripping the flesh from a creature of any sort. Uh, they're very much, at least to the understanding of scientists, uh, and some of the Royal Societies there in the UK, uh, it's all about essentially procreation and expansion mm. of the colonies, and yeah. they're not eating flesh or anything. They like just that.
3: they just have a taste for love, not flesh. You know, <laughs> they're too busy getting it on midair to be worried about <laughs> eviscerating herds of cows. But but I like the imagery just the same.
2: And they're also, if I understand, they they share one important difference with twenty twenties perhaps better known insect swarm, the locust swarms that have gone through uh, vast swaths of the African continent, in that this swarm of flying ants, uh, the experts believe, is actually good for the ecology of the region. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, they're going to aerate the soil where they end up landing in. It's going to make it easier to, you know, nutrients will be put back into the soil, essentially, where they're going. They're going to provide a ton of food for the birds and other small animals that are in the area. And even, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy how beneficial the ants actually will be though. It is, it is super unsettling watching some of the social media videos online of these things crawling around on the sidewalks on, Mm -hmm. you know, in the grass, wherever they exist, because it does look like an ant with a pair of big old translucent wings on it. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Uh, But, you know, and the reason why I bring this as a strange news thing, it's being written about on social media, and I have to imagine in jest, but it's being written about as just another of the signs that 2020 is bringing about the apocalypse, essentially, or that the apocalypse is nigh in 2020 because there's yet another one of these plagues of insects, which was, you know, something that was spoken about in the Bible, about how there would be plagues that would occur. Plagues came along, you know, with other important biblical figures, specifically plagues that were unleashed in the direction of Pharaoh. Um, but, you know, there, this to me doesn't read as that. It reads to me as a very fascinating biological thing that occurs on a yearly basis.
3: Whatever happened to those murder hornets everyone's all worked up about for a minute?
2: Haven't heard much on them in a, in a little while. Their population was relatively small. I did an earlier um, piece on this for Strange news daily. Their presence um, is disturbing right how How does uh, this kind of insect get across the Pacific in the first place? but they were never their numbers were never as great as a swarm of flying ants or locusts. We would have heard a lot more about them uh, it 's weird though. To go back to your point, Matt, the idea that insert odd story here is a yet another sign that the world is ending in 2020. I think it's so narcissistic of human beings. The world is ending for someone somewhere every day and every single year. There are at least a baker's dozen of, let's say, cults or charismatic individuals who are convinced that this is going to be the last year. I get it. In the long term, humanity is still sort of a fad, but don't you think it's kind of human-centric that we all we all assume that we're going to be alive when the actual end occurs? i I, I don't think we are I, it just it feels a little self-aggrandizing to be like, "Here, we're here. we're at the end. Things are always bad. they're getting worse. I't I don't, I don't know.
1: I would just say, it does feel perhaps. As close as you can get this year to being near the apocalypse uh, it feels it feels that way at least, and I only have thirty some odd years of experience, but it certainly feels that way,
2: but that's what we said in twenty twelve
1: <laughs> uh yeah, did it feel like the end though I think that was more i think that was more of a hey, the signs are pointing to this now because of the Mayan calendar. I don't know.
3: Yeah, but that was supposed to be June 21st, so we dodged a bullet on that one unless they got it wrong again because previously it was supposed to be December 21st, 2012. But then, you know, much like many doomsday uh, prophecies, there's usually some little
1: kink. Wait, get wait. Are you saying that the the date for the Mayan apocalypse was pushed back and yeah. I, I missed it? I didn't even know it was happening. Uh-huh, yeah, June 21st, a, 2020. Yeah.
2: They did a Zoom call about it. Mm-hmm. They Ugh. held off production. Barely even made our newsletter. I mean, it's really, I can't, you know, believe, gonna, I can't yeah. believe
1: I missed that. I must have been out that day.
2: Dang. <laughs> but that's, I mean, I, I think you're right uh, in that it does feel like we're seeing more and more incredibly anomalous events occurring this year. I mean, the past few months have been like the longest. 10 years on in history as 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 the jokes go but but it makes it does make you wonder are we are we just more attuned to acknowledge and hear these stories or to report them now or is there really more crazy stuff happening i feel like a lot of the things that are being reported as like this is happening this year and this is screwy. Soon, science reveals summer will be too hot for human beings, literally. But people have been saying that for years, and they were right then. Are we just paying more attention, or are things really on a precipitous path? Or is it a mix of both? I don't know. I think it's
3: absolutely a mix of both in the same way that you you turned us on to this uh, John Oliver podcast. Um, last week, tonight, segment on conspiracy theories. And he speaks to this scholar who talks about how we as a species uh, tend to want to ascribe big events to big causes. And that's sort of a big part of the whole thinking behind conspiracy theories. Like, oh, if, if this massive thing happened, it had to be for a reason. You know, it had to be like there's some thought behind it, right? And, and this is a little different, but it's like, it's that same kind of, what is it, Bader-Meinhof, syndrome where you keep noticing things the more you notice them it's like a you know confirmation bias where we're like okay this year definitely sucks and there happen to be a lot of things that we can you know uh, attach to some kind of cosmic plan for why things suck so bad um you know hence murder hornets and the finding the plague in the chinese uh, herdsmen but then we realize oh they actually find that like a little every year. So there's a lot of things that we attach meaning to that don't necessarily have, have any meaning. Not to say that we're not living in the end
2: times, because it sure as hell feels like it, but you, you see what I'm saying. I get it. The idea of a conspiracy, no matter how terrible is in some ways, infinitely more comforting than the idea of the alternative, that things are an accident. No one knows what's going on. No one's in charge. The idea that our species is one big escape room experiment, and Earth is the room we're all locked in, and we just can't get it together enough to get out of the room. I mean, yeah, that's terrifying.
3: Not, not only that, Ben, not only an escape room experience, but an escape room where the dumbest person is the most confident and leading you in the wrong direction constantly. <laughs>
2: That escape room experience of yours really scarred you, man. <laughs> I'm not, I
3: mean, I just think it's appropriate. You're absolutely right. I am, long time <laughs> listeners will know that I am referring to a real thing. But you see what I'm saying, though? It's like we put so much trust in the people that are the loudest voices in the room and the ones that come forth with this confident plan. And oftentimes they're just improvising. You know, there's, there's, there's just kind of entropy in all of it. Everyone's just sort of faking it till they make it, including the universe.
2: <laughs> I mean, Matt, I want to know your take. I'm not going to lie. Part of me would be Darkly, intensely delighted if it turned out that this was, uh, this was something that the UK somehow did on purpose. Like the queen is going, we must distract from the crimes of Prince Andrew. Release <laughs> the swarm of ants. You know what I mean? I would love that. Give me, give me that opera, that I high I love her
3: queen, your queen voice, Ben. I, I love it so much.
1: Yeah, she, she made a quick call to the Royal Society of Biology, which is a real thing. In the United Kingdom. And she said, yeah, hook us up with a couple swarms. We really need some cover here, literal and figurative. And uh, they they got it going. I don't know how I feel, guys. I was reflecting just for a moment here. The thing I forgot to tell you about that whole mating in the sky with diamonds thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. That just felt like it rhymed and felt felt good. But uh, so the, the queen ant, the most important ant of all, the queen ant. Does her thing, then lands on the ground after being um, fertilized and chews her own wings off and gets to work making that colony. Well, the flying male ants, when they're up there doing that dance, uh, as soon as they're finished mating, the male just straight up dies and falls right down to the earth from whence he originally came.
3: Um I'm sorry this is I'm asking an ignorant question not being an entomologist and this being your topic so I assume you did a little extra research. They like all have sex with just the one queen?
2: Try to.
1: <laughs> yeah, the that's the biological imperative I guess of the male role there. What and, a burden that queen has to bear. I mean,
3: my goodness.
1: It's really interesting Generally, we would pull it back from a, I am a creature and I'm making this decision of my own volition. It's more of my DNA, my whatever is inside of me, you know, from the past experience of my species and the species that came before me, I'm going to act in this way, right? So the concept is that they just, it's just known to do this, right? And again, that's from our current understanding of ants and of this particular species, and it's, you know, a very human thing to do, to be like, oh, they obviously don't understand or know what they're doing. They're just tiny little ants. But again, science can't prove that there's any kind of consciousness going on there. I mean, have you seen the movie Ants? <laughs> what, what is it? What do you want to say, Ben? Uh, I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> oh, I, was,
3: uh, I was just going to say, have you seen the movie Ants? I mean, that movie is basically like an instruction manual for how to foment a revolution, how to rise up you know, against your uh, your oppressors. I don't know. It's a good time to watch the movie Ants, you guys, just putting that out there for everyone if you haven't seen it.
1: To me, it's just tough to imagine that those male ants would take it upon themselves to do that act, knowing it or perhaps not knowing but definitely if they know they're going to die immediately afterwards, it seems like there would be some that would say, nope, I'm just going to keep going, doing some other stuff, and definitely not going to mate anytime soon.
2: I'm going to call this anthrocentrism. Fellow uh, armchair myrmecologists in the crowd, you may enjoy this thought experiment, this conundrum here. First, this is an excellent illustration of a common pattern in uh, the in biological life on Earth, which is that... Uh, Those things that might be identified as male, as biologically male, uh, you know, life cycles generally treat them as the disposable ones. That's why there are hundreds of male ants to a queen. That's why there are hundreds and thousands or millions of young men sent to war in the human species. But I ask you this, this is for you, myrmecologist. What is the most successful life form on Earth? A lot of people want to say human, and you could say that depending on how you measure things, but uh, I think there is a tremendously compelling argument to be made for the ants. Super colonies, uh, they have agriculture, some species, uh, they have enormously specific adaptations, they partner with other species, uh, they conquer and enslave other species. I mean, they tick all the boxes. I think ants are a strong top five contender for most successful life form, depending on the metrics. I would tend
3: to agree. Roaches are pretty strong too, because they can survive like a nuclear Holocaust situation. Uh, and, and Matt, you know, your whole question of like, do you think if they knew, they would uh, they would maybe just try to like sneak on out of there, if they knew what their fate was going to be after that mating ritual? Well, that my friend is anthropomorphizing a bit, much for my taste. So <laughs> um, Sorry, I had to get that. Dad pun in there. Uh,
2: Thanks, guys. I think this one's awesome, man. Let's pause for a moment. And unless we, too, are consumed by a biblical plague-level swarm of insects, we'll be back after a word from our sponsor.
4: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring, with access to over 6 million active hourly workers—
1: and we're back just thinking here I'm just kind of spitballing guys knowing that there are swarms of ants if you're going to be going outside might be a good reason for you to put a mask over your face so you mm-hmm. don't get a mouth full of insects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, there are currently a lot more pressing reasons to put a mask on and for more on that uh, Mr. Noel Brown
3: oh my god you introduced me like a real correspondent Matt Thank you. (laughs) I love this. Uh, Yeah, it's true. So I'm going to read you a uh, public, a note from the Treasury Department, United States Public Health Service. Um, Influenza, spread by droplets, sprayed from nose and throat. Cover each cough and sneeze with handkerchief. Spread by contact. Avoid crowds. If possible, walk to work. Do not spit on floor or sidewalk. Do not use common drinking cups and common towels. Avoid excessive fatigue. If taken ill, go to bed and send for a doctor. The above applies also to colds, bronchitis, pneumonia, and to Tuberculosis. Um, aside from a couple of little indicators in there, this could very well be a notice that we would see posted today or a recommendation from like the Centers for Disease Control about how to uh, stem the tide of COVID-19. Uh, this, in fact, came out circa 1918 during another pandemic uh, known as the Spanish flu. A lot of other parallels exist between that pandemic and the one we're going through now, and the one we're going to talk about in in this story. Um, specifically, the attitude towards masks um, here in Georgia, for example, we even have like a lot of uh, really. Tense back and forth between the governor of our state, Brian Kemp, and the mayor of our city, Keisha Lance Bottoms. Keisha Lance Bottoms felt that with all of the spiking cases that we're experiencing now, it would be appropriate to, A, um, impose a mask mandate, and B... Uh, roll back to what's called phase one of of quarantine, essentially, which would be closing non-essential businesses just short of sheltering in place like we were when things were really, you know, starting to get real. Governor Kemp has uh, sued Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and also imposed a moratorium or some kind of uh, injunction, I guess, on her speaking to the press about these things and saying that she's overreaching her, you know, her power and all of that, Um, which I guess could be true, uh, but it's an odd thing to be uh, so at odds with. Um, And it was an interesting thing to see people fighting against as well in the, in the 1918 when um, in the city of Denver, for example, there was a mask mandate put in place and it caused uh, folks to just lose their minds, Say that they were being um they were their civil liberties were being threatened, saying that they should not be forced to do this uh that it was somehow a political issue, much the
1: same as we're seeing it today. What do you guys think about this? Well, it's certainly something that I've been seeing on social media a bit, and you know a story here or there where there's been an altercation in some kind of store because of mask use. Um, Generally, the arguments that I've seen put forth are very similar to what you're describing there, Noel. Um, It's an affront to personal civil liberties. You know, who has, who has the right to tell me that I can't do what I want to do essentially. Um, And then the counter argument is, this is more of a community concern or a larger concern. And the, the, you know, personal civil liberty has to take a back seat to the protection of, you know, the larger group. I, I would just say I can identify, I can somewhat identify with that stance. If you personally feel as though you are not a threat to anyone else and you don't feel threatened by anyone else that you're interacting with, I can understand why an individual might feel that way, right? The problem here. Is that we're dealing with something that is silent, that is sometimes untraceable, uh, and it's not possible to even know if you are infected at, you know, for a certain period of time, a window there. It becomes a question of what are you willing to risk, not only for yourself, but for the people around you. Because mm-hmm. ultimately wearing a mask isn't to protect you from other people breathing. It is a protection for the other people that you're going to be arrested. Yeah. It's a gesture of goodwill too, to say like, "Hey, I'm.
3: I, we're in this together, and I'm going to do my part, even if maybe it's not like the end-all, be-all. It's something." Ben, um, I actually made a mistake. It's not it's not a mistake exactly. I mentioned Denver, but the story that I found uh, is from the Business Insider by Katie Canales from June 3rd of of this year. It's a really excellent article. It has a lot of photographs of uh, the Mask kind of outcry situation in San Francisco. There was this anti-mask movement. Uh, it was actually a league, an organization of folks called the Anti-Mask League that had a mission statement: um, "Sanitary Spartacans, Name of Anti-Mask League in in Frisco. Some of these headlines, and they actually like gathered in churches, and they, you know, it was a big, it was a big thing. Uh, three shot in struggle with mask slacker blacksmith strikes health inspector striving to enforce order so it literally became like a subject of riots in the street I don't think we're quite there yet in terms of like being denied entrance to publics because you're not wearing a mask but um, But we also haven't had a a mandate that was enforceable in that same way. Ben, do you see an escalation of this and and, and a kind of like a a more of a parallel with what we're seeing here in San Francisco in 1918 with, you know, folks getting arrested and hauled off to jail and they're becoming this like contingent of folks saying we're not going to stand for this kind of flagrant abuse of our civil rights?
2: It's an interesting question um, because there are social commonalities the hardware of the society, that being the human being, remained very much the same as the the physical human beings we see in two thousand and twenty. However, the software or the infrastructure of the society is very, very different it's it's easy to i don 't want to say cherry pick because it 's not cherry picking it 's easy to see stark uh one to one commonalities with the 1918 H1N1 uh, and with, you know, COVID-19 here. But biologically, they're different, and the societies in which they occur are also different. Uh, The primary culprit, if there is a culprit on the human side for 1918 flu epidemic, is most likely soldiers because they were traveling internationally far more than the average person. And in our modern-day society, so many so many cultures are interconnected or were interconnected because of international travel, international trade, and so on. It was easier, I think, for coronavirus to spread today in 2020 than it was for the flu in 1918. Fewer people, honestly, were traveling. Uh, we know that there will be an escalation. It will probably not occur throughout all parts of the globe because, frankly, some parts of the world did a much better job combating this infection. However, you know, if you talk to a medical historian, they're going to say if you had to put a number on the death toll in the U.S. for uh, the 1918 flu, you would say 6,500,000 people, ballpark, died between 1918 and 1920. 50 million people died globally. That seems like a high number, but there were waves of infection, right? Just like the Black Death. It didn't all happen in one wave. So, uh, you know, it's going to take a while for a vaccine to be deployed, however that works. That means more people are going to die. That's just a fact. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of those people who die globally are going to be in the United States uh, because for a number of reasons— the U.S. is still very much in the grips of the pandemic, and some other countries have gotten to the other side of at least the first wave. So I, I would say, without predicting the future, uh, which is kind of a you know uh, untrustworthy gig, uh, it's not out of the it's not out of the ballpark for COVID nineteen or the coronavirus pandemic to end up being more dangerous uh, than the Spanish flu. Um, just to continue along that, Noel, I would. Just
1: note that there's a lot of public outcry about mask use because I think some people view it as the beginning of what they would consider to be a slippery slope. If you look at, you know, rightly or not, or incorrectly, I would say. But if you look at places like France, like the, the country of France, as of today, the, what is it, July 20th, Monday that we're recording this. In France, the government can fine any individual who is not wearing a face mask or a covering of some sort while in a public indoor setting. They can fine them $154 US or 135 euros um, just for not wearing a mask, right? So an officer or someone can stop you and you can be fined that much money for not complying. Um, I think people in the US see that kind of action being taken as something that will eventually occur in the United States. And the stance becomes very much if they can do that, then what else can they do or what else will they do? And then generally I see that linked to a fear that there's something else coming down the road, that this is a stepping stone essentially. A lot of times and someone listening, please correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but I see it then being linked to things as possibly the vaccination being a some form of government control to do something nefarious to the people who are going to have to get this vaccine. And if you don't get it, um, you know, it would be forced, it would be compulsory to get this vaccine. And if you don't get it, you'd either get a fine or, you know, some other bad thing that would happen to you. Sure.
3: But I mean, I I can understand that the fact that it's something to do with our bodies, like even a mask, is, you know, it's not like you're being shot up with some kind of, you know, questionable um, medication, which, you know, we know that a vaccine. there, obviously it has to be vetted and everything, but we, we know plenty of medications that get vetted uh, by the FDA and then come out and then we find out there's all kinds of unexpected side effects. So I understand that. A mask isn't quite that, but it is something that's on your body. But, you know, what about seatbelts? I mean, when seatbelts became mandatory, people freaked out in the same way and were like cutting them out of their cars, you know, as protest. And those people look like assholes now, you know? I mean, seatbelts are, are obvi- no one's really maligning seatbelts although it is shocking to me that that school buses don't have them, but that's a good discussion for another day. You know what I mean, though? Like, how is it an issue? Like, how is this, why is it a hill worth dying on, you know, uh, when it seems like it's just a matter of just showing that you give a crap and want to, like, you know, do your part?
2: Social dynamics. Um, social dynamics are, are pretty compelling here, especially if we look at group psychology. One thing that large groups of people tend to do is to rally around something that feels like a direct action, that feels like a definitive verb. We have done something. And often that's an escape hatch for existing anxieties or fears based on much more complicated situations. So, um, you know, the seatbelt example... The issue with that is that there's a lot of there's a lot of purposeful uh, and somewhat insidious lobbying that goes in. I think we've got an episode of car stuff about it, uh, similar to jaywalking. How jaywalking became a crime? It was big auto pushing that because they were saving money by not having to uh, manufacture additional seatbelts. They were also very well aware of the slippery slope that existed there uh, because now. The U.S. and much of the – I mean the entirety of the Western world, uh, all the auto manufacturers there have to comply with um, numerous top-down government-ordered safety measures, right? And people generally now agree that it's a good thing, but also a ton of people aren't going to bother with a seatbelt. You might not be aware of this unless you grew up in Georgia, but for a long time there was a law that said people didn't have to wear seatbelts in certain vehicles, notably pickup trucks. That is entirely because there was one old-school politician who drove a pickup truck, and he just said, seatbelts be damned. He had no science. He had nothing but his own personal identity, and it also kind of functioned as – um Okay, so the seatbelt thing was lobbying, right? I think the mask thing is uh, the, the idea of wearing or not wearing a mask. For people who don't want to wear a mask, the health concerns don't really factor into the conversation. It's metonymy. It's a metonymic protest. Uh, there, this, this is a symbol, right? This is a symbol of kind of what you had mentioned earlier, uh, Matt, this precedent. Right. We're going to cut this off. We're going to nip this off at the bud because what's next? Uh, We'll get the mark of the beast. We'll all have RFID. Uh, We'll have to have um, we'll have to pass some sort of test to be allowed to have children. Uh, Of those three things, I'm going to say, episode for a different day, I have some opinions. They're not facts, but I have some opinions. But do you see what I'm saying here? A mask is something to say no to because it's much easier to feel like you've done something. It's much easier to feel like you've taken an action. And that's similar, you know, again, the hardware is the same. The human species was doing this during the flu pandemic. It's just it's a lot easier to do something small and simple like that. Consequences be damned than it is to look at the underlying complicated psychological environment in which these fears arise.
3: I get it, and you're you're completely spot on, Ben. I do think that it's further complicated by leadership that. Uh, makes it a political issue, like implying that wearing a mask, even even if it's not directly verbally, there's an implication by refusing to wear a mask um, that it makes you weak in some way. And you know th- that I think a lot of people glom onto that and turn it into an act of protest, where it's like I don't want to be seen as weak, or you know, talk about conspiracy theories. There are people out there that think the coronavirus is a hoax. That it's not even real and that by putting on a mask, you're acknowledging that it's real or you're somehow signing up for this fake news narrative of this thing. You know, I mean, it's absolutely a perspective that's out there.
2: It's a great way to crack down on protest. Uh, This is this is off the map of some of the mainstream stuff, but not so much in the U.S., but in other countries. The presence of the pandemic has been used as, as a, well, reason or excuse to crack down on legitimate protest. So I think it's a very, use, it's a very efficacious tool for opportunists. Um, but yeah, as you said at the beginning of presenting the story, Noel, the, mm, maybe, maybe there's a, a key change in the great song of humanity, but the progression <laughs> tends to be the same. And we know the science is there in countries or parts of the world specifically the Asia-Pacific region where wearing masks to protect others is already seen as a normal day-to-day thing, Uh, they did a great job combating this. You know what I mean? And we're much closer to the epicenter of the infection. Hey, listen, guys,
1: I agree, Ben. I've seen those, and it's uh, very nice to actually see that it is possible to clamp down on this thing with a couple fairly easy small steps if you can get everyone to do it. That seems to be the hard part. What I would say to everyone out there listening that is already upset with us for talking about this, if uh, you need to go get food and you absolutely refuse to wear a mask and you happen to be in the Southeast, I have some good news for you. You can go into any Winn-Dixie, any, let's see, what else do they have here? Uh, Buy Low, Harvey's Supermarket. Or Fresco y mas, and you don't have to wear a mask. What about Piggly Wiggly? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I just Piggly know for Piggly sure. is
2: creepy. Don't go.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a, a 100%. horror movie.
2: It's a horror movie grocery store. <laughs>
1: 100% agree. But uh, those stores are requiring their employees to wear masks, but they're not requiring customers to wear
3: On masks. the flip side, Kroger, which I believe is probably most of our shopping place of choice, is requiring it, as is Target and uh, Publix and Walmart even. So, you know, whether that's more of a PR move or what, you know, you can certainly uh, classify it as that. It's definitely become this interesting line in the sand. And even to say, you know, a grocery store with the word Dixie in the name uh, <laughs> is falling on that particular side of the argument, I don't think is an accident.
2: You know, it's the question of private business. It's it's up to those businesses Barring a law, it is up to those businesses to kind of do what they want. Technically, because they're a private business, if they wanted to, they could say every customer has to wear whatever the hell they randomly decide at 435 on a Friday. It doesn't matter. They could say, like, we're only letting people in if they wear purple jinkos. Some might say this is short-sighted and may have an effect on our bottom line. But, you know, we here at Illumination Global Unlimited Groceries Supply Co., have uh thought about it and purple jinkos are what we stand for right. as an organization. So we got to totally know
3: you really want it, you know. First of all, those are hard to find, you know, so to even like, you know, that barrier of of entry, it's got to be high enough so you're, you know, filtering out like the the just fair weather, you know, shoppers, right?
2: Yeah. And and again, it's just it's symbolically it can the thing with symbols, they can function as dog whistles uh the the real world efficacy of any kind of symbolic act is at least partially defined by its sort of PR angle as much of it mm. as its real, uh, real effects. But if you are against masks personally, you know I, I want to hear I want to hear the reasons why. You know I want to hear the compelling reasons why. And I'm not, you know I I, I think that in this show we've done. Or in this segment, at least, we've, we've definitely argued in favor of wearing, wearing that or, you know, just like washing your hands or something, uh, because from what we can tell, the science is there. And the science exists independent of any one particular pandemic. This is just essential disease science. It doesn't matter what, what kind of cooties are in the air. It doesn't matter uh, what what sort of other airborne bubonic plague, etc., is going through in some sort of miasma in your local grocery store. The masks seem to work, and facts do not have opinions, as as is often said uh, by very, very smart people, very, very good people, very, very dumb people, and very, very evil people. Everyone agrees facts don't have opinions, and masks are a fact.
1: It's true. I, the last thing, just there's a lot of fear about children being forced to wear masks, Ben, and Noel, that I've seen floating around social media. I just want to point out here that there was a, a doctor in Dublin, Ireland, that ran a test where he hooked himself up to an oxygenation machine or, excuse me, he hooked himself up to a machine that monitors his oxygen saturation levels, and he tested after putting on Uh, One mask, then two, three, four, five, and then six masks just to show that wearing a mask doesn't prevent, doesn't lower the oxygen levels in your bloodstream, which has been a big fear for a lot of parents out there because of some of these social media posts. Uh, If you are a parent and you are thinking that this is a major issue for your child, just know that there are people out there. And as Ben is saying, the science does show that that doesn't, you know, it isn't necessarily what you're afraid of. And make sure you check your sources, as we always say to do. And my last and final thing is that uh, it's given
3: us a new accessory. People that are into fashion, I've been loving seeing all the variations and colors and types and designs of masks. And certainly a thing I never expected to hear, someone complimenting my daughter and saying, nice mask. I like your mask. It's a weird thing to hear, but here we are. Uh, The human brain is pretty good at normalizing weird stuff uh, pretty quickly.
2: And we'll return for one last piece of strange news after a word from our sponsor.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over six million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs.
2: we're back super producer alexis opened out two steam data so i think we might might go a little bit longer today uh there is one last story uh i feel a little bit like a character in all those fairy tale tropes emerging at the very end going i have a gift for the celebration this is strange this is developing now there may be more facts that emerge we have a murder mystery. It is an ongoing murder mystery. It is a developing story. The facts may change. Recently, and tragically, there was a murder in North Brunswick Township in New Jersey. Someone posing as a FedEx driver went to a home in North Brunswick about 5 p.m. They knocked on the door. A man answered. And the FedEx, the person dressed as a FedEx driver, attacked them, shot them with a firearm. Uh, the man's child attempted to intervene, and he was murdered. Uh, tragic loss of life. Young man, you know, had, came from a very well-to-do family, so he, he was all set to have a, a fantastic American dream lifestyle. But the story gets stranger. Unfortunately, here in the U.S., a homicide by firearm is not an anomalous or even, sadly, at times, not even a noteworthy thing for a lot of news organizations. This story is different because the man in question, Mark Anderl, A-N-D-E-R-L, and his son, Daniel, they're part of a legal family. Mark is a defense attorney. His wife is one Esther Salas. Esther Salas is a federal judge, and she has been for a long time. She has recently been assigned to oversee a lawsuit against Deutsche Bank, which uh, some of our fellow listeners may recognize from our earlier work on big banks and financial and criminal shenanigans that they pull. Mm -hmm. This lawsuit in particular concerns the handling of financial matters related to the late Jeffrey Epstein so as you can imagine the people who have been following the Ghislaine Maxwell story are attuned to this it's a very strange hit you know the guy was dressed as a FedEx driver did not have a FedEx vehicle was wearing a face covering and came there with a premeditated predetermined plan to murder the family currently authorities are saying the motive for the shooting is unclear. The name of the suspect has not been revealed. The latest update I had going into recording today is that the body of the suspect was found. The body of the suspect has been found shortly after we record this, as you said, Matt, earlier on July 20th. Uh, He was discovered with what authorities are describing as an apparently self-inflicted gunshot wound outside a vehicle in Liberty, New York. As a matter of fact, how real time is this? Just got an update uh, from some friends of mine following the story. The suspect is confirmed to be one Roy Den Hollander, 72 years old. He is an attorney who had a case before Solace in 2015. This is according to anonymous sources in law enforcement sketchy stuff. We've got an assassin who attempts a murder, apparently doesn't get the person he was trying to kill, and then takes his own life. And it's connected with financial crimes tied to the Epstein case. As we record right now, Ghislaine Maxwell is, I just checked this before he went to air, still alive, right? Uh, Hasn't caught COVID or a, a suicide attempt yet. But I wanted to bring this to you guys and ask what you think. Do you I mean, judges get death threats. That's just part of the job. Uh, but do you think this... Let's just address the elephant in the room. Do you think this is in any way related to the um, ongoing Epstein scandal, the people who got away?
1: I mean, if it was, it would be a warning, right? Because you... Just because you kill a federal judge that's working on a case doesn't mean another judge doesn't get assigned to it. If she truly, if solace. Judge Salas truly was the target here and it wasn't Mark Andrel, the the husband, because, you know, he was a criminal defense attorney and that's another very common thing is to have a defense attorney that some person felt they got it wrong or they didn't defend them properly. They would be a target possibly of someone who was uh, – who had bad intentions or felt as though they were wronged. It's a tough one because I don't think we have enough information yet to determine what actually happened. This is silly, but i'm maybe I'm a little skeptical even that they got the right person maybe they maybe they actually did for sure. I just don't know um, Anytime a suspect ends up being dead by the time they're found, you know and identified, it always makes me want to wait to get more information. but with a criminal case like that, if you've found the killer. Essentially, you've you have made the determination that the killer has been found, and they are dead. There's not much else to do uh, in the investigation. Right. Well,
3: it's um, certainly red meat for conspiracy speculation, right? Um, in the same uh, way that the untimely death of the gentleman that was uh, a slam dunk, supposedly, for those anthrax mail attempts uh, back right around when 9-11 took place. That I believe you were out on that one, Matt, but, but Ben and I did that one. And uh, always very sketchy when someone... I mean, on the one hand, there's the implication of guilt when someone takes their own life when they're being pursued. But then on the other hand, you know, there certainly could be <laughs> weirder things have happened than someone being taken out and made to look like a suicide attempt so that people stop asking questions, you know? So like you said, Matt, not enough information
2: here to know which one this is, but certainly a little suspicious. It's strange because if you look, Roy Den Hollander has been repeatedly described as a, quote, anti-feminist lawyer. So he had, to be completely fair, he had political stances that he was widely published on and period on. He was what was called a men's right activist. Mm. It well, it's still, it still feels like there's more people's political views are their own. It feels like there's more to the story here because most activists are not dressing up like delivery service workers and shooting people. And especially if this guy was an attorney, attorneys don't typically pursue vengeance in that fashion. Now, there is some truth to the dirty, uh, the dirty stories and urban legends. An attorney might hire someone to kill someone. That's really more, you know, their MO rather than putting their physical finger on the trigger. It's interesting because if we look into this and we start to, if you guys will permit me to play Charlie Day, Pepe, Sylvia here, uh, just a week prior to this, another attorney associated with the men's rights movement, a guy named Mark Angolucci was killed by a delivery man, or by someone dressed as a delivery man. Um, oh wow! So, so you see what I'm saying? I know we don't have enough information, but there's something here. Maybe even the Epstein connection is a red herring. I'm not sure, but there's too much there's too much screwy about this right now, which I know is not the most articulate I've ever been on this show. Uh, but the thing is. He also had this guy, um, Roy Den Hollander, also had some stances on Russia. There's not a mugshot or evidence of this. Maybe part of it is just the fog of war as new things emerge, but does seem very strange. Fox News, by the way, uh, was originally censoring all mention of the bank or of Epstein, And maybe that's because they didn't want to have too much sensationalism. But I don't know. I don't know. You know, more and more on the Epstein case, a lot of people have written asking for further updates, especially with the Ghislaine Maxwell arrest. It has intelligence agency fingerprints on it. The idea of compromising people like that, the various sources that have come through anonymously so far, saying that Maxwell does possess photographic and video evidence of some pretty serious crimes. I don't know. What do you guys think? Intelligence agency? I mean, Compromat is a thing. The CIA did it. The KGB has done it. I. Well,
3: I, I don't know. Really quickly, let's also not forget that, um, you know, the president of the United States has some pretty longstanding ties to Deutsche Bank as well. Um, mm. And it, it is a notoriously... You know, I mean, it's on the surface, it's a respectable operation, but uh, this certainly isn't a good look. (laughs) The lawsuit in general and its relationship with a guy like Epstein. Um, So uh, that's a little bit interesting, too. There was an article that just came out in uh, the Financial Times, Deutsche Bank's ties to Donald Trump um, dissected. That just came out in May uh, by Tom Braithwaite. So if you're interested, want to find out more about those connections, give
2: it a look. Essentially, at several points, the bank gave Donald Trump incredibly, extraordinarily favorable loan terms and did not uh, follow up on recouping those loans in a way that a normal business would do. Uh, To put it in perspective, the vast majority of people listening to this episode today, if you tried to handle a loan the way that that bank And that individual, and not to, you know, not to just heap opprobrium on Trump. There were other high net value people, VIPs, that the bank was doing this with. They just have a different system. If you were trying to do what some of these VIPs are doing loan-wise, you would be arrested. You would be arrested, you'd be bankrupted, you'd go to court. It just, the, the rules are not the same.
3: And, and you know, and, and Trump has written about this as well, where he defends the bank as being, you know, it was the best bank. It was like, you know, the gold standard. It's the Germans you're dealing with. They're, you know, known for their... Uh prowess with dealing with money and finance and all that stuff uh however the federal reserve um at least according to this article in the financial times regards deutsche bank as a badly this is a quote from the article i cited a badly managed lender with weak money laundering controls which makes sense considering that we do see their name pop up quite often in money laundering type cases
2: i want to i, I want to go back to the story Back to this uh, assassination attempts and and start trying to draw see w- see what's out there. I don't think we're I agree with you, Matt. I don't think we're out to the point where we have a definitive statement, but we may not have a definitive conclusion here. Uh, according to the federal court records, uh, Salas was assigned to handle a class action lawsuit that was bought against Deutsche Bank by Ali Karimi, and this was on behalf of investors who purchased securities from the bank between November 7th of 2017 all the way up to July 6th, 2020. The court records show the bank, quote, failed to properly monitor customers that the bank itself deemed to be high risk, including, among others, the convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. So this is not Internet speculation. The federal court level records state the Epstein connection and highlight it. And also, if we look at judges or attempted assassinations of judges, okay, this isn't the same all across the world. Being a judge can be a dangerous profession. Uh, But here in the U.S., it's incredibly rare for this to happen. You'll get emails. You'll get angry letters. Someone will, you know, poop in a box and mail it. To your office, uh, but people are not going to take an assassination attempt out after you. And it reminds me, Matt, you'll remember this, of the Detroit affair, uh, the child abuse ring in Belgium, when the prosecutors and the judges were threatened. And I think witnesses started dying in mattress fires and stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it does remind me of that a little bit. But I think it's being, I'm worried that the Epstein thing is clouding everything else in this case. Mm-hmm. The more I'm reading about Hollander on the New York Post right now, you know, we we mentioned that he's a men's rights attorney, you know, in that he's coined as that or he's uh, described in that way. He's done all kinds of interesting lawsuits, everything from alleging that a bunch of these New York nightclubs um, by offering ladies night specials and everything are, you know, sexist and quote unquote bastions of bigotry and all these things. He got sued, or he sued Jim Norton after going on the Opie and Anthony show. This guy did. He's a real, I mean, he's an interesting character. There's a quote here from a lawyer, an attorney named Vic Pawar, or Pawar, Uh, it says, and he's speaking about Hollander, he was extremely professional and well-read, but he goes on to talk about how Um, This guy, Vic Pawar, represented a New York police department detective that Hollander believed was part of a conspiracy with his ex-wife, her lawyers, the Russian and Mexican mafia, and some New York City strip clubs. Like right there, you're painting a very different picture of this guy or very, um, you know, a picture of him that just seems like maybe he was prone to believing, I don't know.
2: Maybe he was personally motivated because of that 2015 case that he had Possibly. with Salas?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- this is what I'm thinking here because it may have something to do with Salas because he did want a female judge, right? That's what we were talking about. He he was going through this, um, this suit in 2015 and he kept saying that he wanted a male judge. He needed a male judge. And Salas was appointed to his case, and maybe he had some kind of longstanding feud because of that with her, or uh, a feud that he believed, right? What do you that mean? He what do you mean? What do you mean? He wanted a male
3: judge? Like is that a th- yeah? Like you, you you can't like ask who your judge is, right? Like I don't. I uh, understand. You can
2: you can request recusal. So oh, because uh, he's a woman it, the,
3: hater if he had a woman he wouldn't be getting a fair shake is that the implication because he's this to finish oh, yeah.
2: to, to finish the thought um, you can ask for a recusal if there is uh, a conflict of interest as you would see and maybe in his mind that functioned as a conflict of interest but generally speaking a conflict of interest is is to the point where recusal occurs is something where it's like the judge says I cannot rule on this case because I own like three million dollars worth of stock in Conglomco, so I can't. I'm not a good source of education for Conglomco.
3: Right. The implication is almost that like, oh, a, a female judge wouldn't be able to put her opinions about the person's politics aside. Uh, Therefore, so that's almost insulting. It's like saying that would be a person a- acting unprofessionally, right?
2: It's interesting though because then look at the timeline. This case is in 2015. That's their what we know best about their direct interaction, oh,
1: right? Oh, but here, according to the New York Post right now, tell me if this is incorrect or if you've got differing information, Ben. They're saying that Hollander had a case pending before Solace right then, and ah. it, was, it was challenging uh, the United States military's men-only draft. That's according to the Daily Beast via mm-hmm. the New York Post here. But I don't know if that's correct or not.
2: Well, we know that he had a package in the vehicle that was uh, found in Liberty, New York. He had a package that looked to be a FedEx package addressed to Solace. So it's definitely, again, if he is the shooter, it definitely seems that he was shooting for Solace rather than for her spouse or her child. It's it's disturbing because... um, Yeah, the Daily Beast article you're talking about came out while we were recording. looks like this story is still so fresh-baked. We don't know uh, whether the spouse will survive. We know that this guy was, the best word to describe it would be polemical in his views. That's just uh, an extreme stance, a controversial stance of some sort. Uh, You can be polemical about all sorts of things, and he seems to be polemical about his view of what he calls uh, men's rights or anti-feminism, which is a phrase I haven't heard as much. It looks like we're talking about the same suit here, Matt. It looks like it, it was filed in 2015 with Hollander as an advisor there were oral arguments on a motion scheduled for this previous month, but they were postponed due to what the case docket describes as unforeseen circumstances. That could be anything. That could be COVID, right? Yeah, it's probably COVID. I I mean, I don't don't want to guess. I am. I'm guessing it's COVID.
1: Uh, Wow. That's – this is an intense story, Ben. Wow. Thank you for bringing this to our attention.
2: But we haven't – it's – it's an itch under my skin. We need to see more details here. Um, is it just, you know, is the media reporting the Epstein connection just to kind of capitalize on the interest in the news cycle? Possible. Uh, is, there, is there more to the story? I am intensely interested in doing a deep dive into the intelligence agency allegations concerning Maxwell and Epstein in a future episode. A lot of our fellow listeners have written in to ask about it. Uh, But for this story, at this point, it appears that Hollander, if he was the shooter, was himself just deeply disturbed Uh, and maybe not, you know, on some kind of mission from some sort of, well, let's just say it probably doesn't, there are no indicators right now that he was on a mission from some kind of cabal or something like that, or uh, that the homicide was related specifically to the upcoming financial corruption case with the bank and Epstein. But again, the bank, Epstein, various political figures of all stripes. There's something. There's a web. There's a web there. I'm telling you. So listen, we need you to write to us. Tell us what you think
1: about this case and everything else we've talked about on this episode. You can reach us on social media, we're conspiracy stuff we're a conspiracy stuff show all over the place you'll find us you'll know what to do uh, head over to here's where it gets crazy on facebook that's our special show page that's our community where everyone you included can get together and discuss all of this stuff in one big forum if you don't want to do that give us a call
3: that's right you can reach us at 1833 stdwytk and um uh, the badger is out of the bag we're going to do these episodes uh, where we hear from you yes you The most important part of the show, as Ben would say, um, every week. So go ahead. Give us a call. Um, Make sure that you let us know if you want to be anonymous, if you don't want us to use your name, or if maybe you don't even want us to use the the story, or at least your audio. We certainly could just retell the story, or um, we can even disguise your voice. We do all kinds of stuff. We want to make sure everyone is super comfortable when when calling into that number. If you don't want to do any of that, you can just send us a good old-fashioned email. We are Conspiracy at
2: iHeartRadio.com
1: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio.
0: why and what it all means follow the global story from the bbc wherever you listen to podcasts
4: rev up your thrills this summer at cedar point on the all-new top thrill 2 drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple launch vertical speedway and now for a limited time get more cedar point fun for less with our limited time bundle for just 49.99 get admission